Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Spinning the Reel. I am your host, Evan. And your co-host, Cody. He's back, guys. Look I'm back. back. Finally, back it's been uh, some weeks, some number of weeks. Don't lie to me. You counted every day that I was missing because you missed me. You were gone. You were here like two episodes ago, three episodes ago. Dude, this I've lost track. Anyway, today, <laughs> today is February 24th. And the important thing is that you are here on the show. Yes, sir. No matter how long you've been gone, it's good to have you back. We should say off the top, uh, a thank you to uh, Zach for uh, filling in while you were gone. So that way we could get a, a couple episodes out there. Do you listen to either of them? A little bit here and there. I would be lying if I listened to the whole thing. I was just, I was super busy when I was gone. I was working, man. But uh, Zach up. Attack, you're the it's man. Up. It, do you listen to every episode we ever record? I listen to zero episodes, but at least there's consistency. <laughs> <laughs> True. I did listen to uh, the one where uh, where I was gone, where uh, Connor filled in. It was a good episode. You guys did. Um, anyway, you're back. So why don't you tell us what uh, what you brought with you? What gifts did you bring back for me Oh, from your trip? Yeah. Uh, by well, which I just mean segments of this podcast. Oh, uh, I was going to, I mean, at most I could have brought you back a rock from the desert, but Ooh. I didn't do that. But in terms of the show, I brought you back the bare game. minimum because the bare minimum bare- could have done. <laughs> <laughs> could have been nothing. Appreciate what you get. Anyways, I brought you a game, dude. I brought you a game back. We're going to have a game segment again because okay. I'm sure those have been missing from... We did We did play some cinephile game on one of the episodes, but I think oh. last week we uh, we did not come up with a game. Thank God I wasn't there for that. Uh, anyways, <laughs> we'll start with a movie, movie that you have threatened me to watch because if I, I didn't watch it... threatened anyone. You did at the end of the episode. I you watched said we were talking about it one way or another. <laughs> yeah, so Judas and the Black Messiah is the movie we're referring to here. Uh, it's an HBO Max and... Uh, Warner Brother release and theater kind of thing. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, also a festival release from your uh, Sundance, is it not? Yeah, that's where it got its premiere. There you go. Uh, like I said, going to the game and uh, going to have a little segment here that might be a little old to talk about, but I figured because we talked about it a little bit off air, we had mm-hmm. a couple decades project in there. Uh, there's been some tweets, I want to say. Was it tweets or yeah, conversation? Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. But it's a pushback on old movies. So, uh, you know, what's their place in today's day and age kind of thing on on what maybe we personally think about old movies and a couple of these quotes that were thrown out there. So spoiler alert, we like them sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But that's all I got, man. I'll give you a rock. I'll give you your rock later. Oh, so you did get me a rock. Okay, I'm not mad anymore. All right. You're going to go to your backyard, pick up a rock. I didn't say that. All right, Cody. So first movie, you're back. So we've been saving this one for a a week or so because we wanted to talk about it with you, but we wanted to talk about it anyway. So that's why I threatened uh, you're either going to talk about it or you're not. And you're here. It works. Uh, Threats and intimidation do work. That's something we learned. And and maybe that's a little bit of a lesson from uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, but uh, I wouldn't read too much into that intro. Uh, What is Judas and the Black Messiah about? Yeah, so ultimately, I think it it's a biopic per se. Would you say it's a biopic on Fred Hampton? I kind of no, say it. I, you know, no. I wrote a review, plugging it early here. It's <laughs> up on the site of the of this, and I called it a biopic just because I think it 
sort of is not it's sort of like a like an fbi thriller at its core i feel like that has biopic elements woven into it yeah but I, it, it kind of eludes classification as as one thing or another but if, if it's easier to refer to it as a biopic sure i'm i'm all for that <laughs> yeah so anyways it is it's centered around fred hampton who's played by daniel kalua uh, from Black Panther, I think you guys would ultimately know him from. Black Panther, Get Out is probably his, his most. And Get Out is, is another big one. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, it's uh, Fred Hampton, who was the Chicago chairman of the Black Panther Party uh, up through 1969. Uh, and it kind of takes us through the struggle in life as well of Bill O'Neill, who's played by Lakeith Stanfield. Also, um, so maybe... Get Out. <laughs> They're everywhere together. Uh, but yeah, and it plays through instead, you know, for him to stay out of prison, uh, it becomes like an FBI informant for Roy Mitchell, who's played by Jesse Plemons, who was in, uh, you know, all sorts uh, of things, but all sorts of things, ending things. Uh, God, recently. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go there because it's your favorite from 2020. He was in the uh, Breaking Bad. He's, he's all over the get, he was in, um, game night. Regardless, no. all right, carry on. I've, I've seen Game Night, but uh, those are your three main characters. And uh, again, to stay out of prison, uh, Bill O'Neill is given an opportunity by this FBI inform uh, FBI agent Roy Mitchell to infiltrate the Black Panther, in this case, Fred Hampton, uh, and just kind of you know see what they're all about, see what their plans are, kind of thing, and and ultimately get rewarded in really just staying out of prison. Um, and so he kind of dabbles with his own struggles as, as the movie progresses and his time progresses on and, you know, he becomes the head of security and things like that and becomes really well trusted and, and ultimately even starts to believe the things that, you know, Fred Hampton is preaching about and, and fighting for and all that kind of stuff. Um, but but he is eh, I, a little bit. We'll get into it. But again, <laughs> ultimately, that ultimate struggle where he does make that decision, where he doesn't feel like he owes anyone other than himself, I guess, um, that leads to the raid and ultimate assassination of uh, Fred Hampton. So in 1969, that's why he is no longer the party leader. All right. A little rusty there, cuz, but but we'll, we'll take Dude, it. We'll take I it. I got there. <laughs> so I went on a bunch of tangents early with you, but yes. Yeah. <sighs> good to good to have you back that's the <laughs> that's the flow of this show um yeah so let's i think maybe the best place to start with this before we get into the machinations of uh the actual plot and and how these character dynamics work i just want to like start out by saying how fucking cool this movie is it's just got such a, a rapid energy to it and even before i started digging into the to, to the plot to any of it really uh, at Sundance, the first thing that just popped into my mind is just like, man, this movie is so frenetic. It, it is so expertly handled by Shaka King that it just has this radiating energy to it. Daniel Kaluuya is performing. I would say this is a career best for both him and Lakeith Stanfield. I, I mean, it's just, it's a fun, exciting, fast-tempoed movie helmed by two tremendous actors in the prime of their careers. Uh, I just had an absolute blast. And it's about the Black Panthers who like, we don't hear enough about in like growing up in, in American school systems, but the Black Panthers are fucking cool. And like this movie is, it, it lives up to that, uh, to that as well. I, I don't know if you had any just initial impressions about the movie in that sense. I, I liked it for sure. I think it's, I mean, clearly 
2021 hasn't really kicked off anywhere. We're only in February, but definitely best film of the year. Not that mm-hmm. I've seen too many. Uh, <laughs> if I had to watch one and only movie in February, which as of right now is only one and only, I'm glad it was this one. So that's my initial, initial impression of this movie. That's good. I'm, I'm glad that that's, uh, that's how you feel about it. So I want to dig in a little bit to the dynamic that you touched on in your, in your synopsis of this movie, because it is central to it because this isn't a movie that is a that is a straight biopic of Fred Hampton. We get a lot of shots of Fred Hampton uh, talking about what he stands for, delivering powerhouse speeches, inspiring folks. But ultimately, this movie starts out with uh, with Lakeith Stanfield giving, I guess you could call it uh, sort of covering a an old interview that that uh, Bill O'Neill did. So it's yeah. Lakeith Stanfield acting out this. And then it jumps into this really energetic scene of him pretending to be a, a cop to boost a car and uh, getting caught, right? And so very early on, and actually start and finish, this movie is framed around Bill O'Neill's story. The movie is called Judas and the Black Messiah. It, it is leading with Lakeith Stanfield as Bill O'Neill. So I think his centrality to it is interesting and i have a few reasons as to that but i'll get to i'll let you go first because i know that's something that you pointed out as well that you found interesting yeah it's like ultimately when you said it starts off with uh it, it really does start off with like the pbs special which is actually i believe called eyes on the prize mm-hmm. and it takes us eyes through, on the prize too i think is what it's called yeah <laughs> and it takes us through bill o'neill's interview you know years after the fact of what happened to fred hampton and and his uh you know, affiliation with everything that transpired those that evening and through the years. Um, I find that shit really like interesting and really cool. Right. I I preach it a lot on this podcast where I like movies that like take you back to like learn something like there's, there's I know everything in here probably isn't hundred percent factual true. Um, I haven't dived through everything, but it it makes you want to like learn something. Right. I think you talked on it already too, with like in school, like the black Panther party, like how much do we really learn about that stuff when we're in school? When you talk about it, you talk about the civil rights, the two names that always pop up. And the only things that we touch on, at least even in my experience of going through school is Martin Luther King Jr. or Malcolm X. Like those are the Malcolm X is even a stretch sometimes. I mean, the black Panther party is usually just sort of offhand mentioned almost as like the villainous group of yeah the, of the, correct uh, and 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 that's what's cool because it's kind of throws in like the spike lee stuff too i think spike lee does that really well i think that's why defy bloods also was you know one of my favorite films from last year as well and there's elements of kind of like that like i said with showing that real life pbs like interview um, mm-hmm. that kind of just dabbles it in reality that yes this is actually these are real events this is real you know history and to that extent that's what makes this movie like super super cool um, and it makes you want to dabble in learning something more like I actually tried to like find like the PBS special and, and kind of you know you kind of go down a little slippery slope of YouTube videos and stuff and and I kind of did that so it's you know to that extent I like that um, and then ultimately it to the performances and stuff it's, it's hard to like, it's hard to sit with. It's hard to sit with because it's like my review on like letterbox was, do I hate Bill O'Neill? Is Bill O'Neill even the person to hate here? Like that's the ultimate questions that come up for me. And it's like, who am I angry with here kind of thing. Um, and that's where this movie is cool to also, you know, learn, ponder and ultimately like, and reflect on. And I think 
maybe a couple of those things are going to start coming out as we continue to talk about this. But overall, sure. like I was, I was very happy with this film for what it was. So um, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. I, I'm, Bill O'Neill is, is as a character in this movie, a very interesting proposition because I think in reality, looking back at the story, you know, his testimony, he basically sold out um, the chairman of the black Panther party uh for his own well-being and and it doesn't mm-hmm. from the eyes on the prize footage i think we actually get some real footage at the end it doesn't seem like he really has any remorse for that um it may be some guilt later on but it does definitely sound like he feels like he made the decision that was right for him at the time and so i i do think that you look back on this guy and i think even in interviews like Keith stanfield has said that it was really difficult for him to play this role and imbue it with such uh generosity i guess might be the word when the actions that this person he's portraying took uh, were pretty downright evil looking back mm-hmm. on it in history and and that's a great credit i think to Lucky stanfield who again i like i said i think this might be a career best for him and i love him in just about everything he's been in uh because he he gives a certain amount of grace and a certain amount of uh, remorse to a character that that maybe didn't have it in real life. But I think one of the things I wrote about uh, in my review is this idea of framing it around Bill O'Neill seemingly being a cop-out because we don't have a biopic of Fred Hampton. And just based on this alone, I think it would be really interesting to get one. I mean, all of the things that this guy did and accomplished in his life, and he before he died at 22, I think was how old he was 21 or 22 is, is really incredible. Like the, the ferocity with which he fought for black liberation, but not just black liberation for liberation of the poor as well. He uh, instituted the first rainbow coalition of, uh, of impoverished individuals to, uh, to fight for their rights. I mean, he was pivotal in opening up medical clinics in Chicago and, uh, and providing school uh, before school breakfast for not only black kids in Chicago, but, but white kids and, and other people of color as well. So I like that, that they sprinkled that into the film. Sorry to cut you off, but oh, yeah. oh, I forgot it. Like the, 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 those are things that we talk about right now that we're talking about with the black Panther mm-hmm. party that we don't learn about in school by any means, but they made it abundantly clear. Like he was going back to prison in the film and he's like, we're going to use this money instead of staying out of prison. Like, I'll, I'll serve the time, put it towards the clinic, put it towards the clinic. And then, you know, you see the scenes in which he's at those school clubs and helping, you know, the young kids Mm -hmm. out and all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, I like, I like that kind of stuff. I like that. Like you said, it correlates. It seems like you did your research here too. And, and, Oh, I discovered about that before. That's something I'd I'd learned years before, but this, this is an introduction to a lot of people to that part of the black Panther party that people maybe didn't know, like free school uh, breakfasts and lunches might not exist in the form that they do today. If not for the black Panther party, because it was extremely unpopular when the FBI started raiding them while children were eating in the morning. And, uh, and, the government had to step in to fill that role, but he was, he was really arrested for $71, huh? For oh whatever, yeah. For, the for ice sure. Cream. I, yeah. Well, again, this was, this was the, the J Edgar Hoover. When we, this doesn't have to be a history lesson of a podcast, but it is now really like black liberation was a tremendous fear of the, uh, the white community in um, back in that time. And, and honestly, it still is uh, for far too much of uh 
of white people today. But J. Edgar Hoover uh, once said that the Black Panther Party was the greatest domestic threat facing the United States and did everything in his power to delegitimize really any um, black activists from Martin Luther King Jr. to Malcolm X to to Fred Hampton as well. But I, I think that it is almost perverse in a way to make this movie about the guy that got Fred Hampton killed when you think about it in the broader terms, because it really is a cop-out, right? It's turning the story of a, of a black revolutionary from a biopic warts and all of, uh, of Fred Hampton, because in this movie, they do portray him saying out loud, like kill all the cops. Like this isn't, this isn't a guy who was, um, Martin Luther King-esque in terms of his rhetoric. But to frame it around Bill O'Neill is to take away something from that and to turn it into a thriller that makes it more accessible for, let's be honest, white audiences that a studio can sell to. And, and I'm sure Shaka King was under some sort of pressure to balance those things. I've, I've heard some stories of a couple scenes that got added into the movie um, that he wasn't really keen on. But in a way, I think it sort of works. I don't know. Did you feel like that dynamic helped your um, grappling with with the movie at all? Like I because I, I found it, even though, again, I thought it was like sort of a, a sellout in a way. I think it actually for a stel- storytelling point of view, it actually really, really works. So I'm, I'm curious if you had any thoughts about like taking some of the uh, focus off of Fred Hampton. Off of Fred. Yeah, I think it's important to because you get someone like Bill O'Neill, who, again, was a car thief who's trying to get out of a situation by infiltrating the Black Panthers. And from interviews, I, I agree with you that that's where also Lakey Stanfield kind of really plays really well, because I have sympathy for Bill O'Neill in his character mm-hmm. in how Lakeith plays it and how he how he sees Fred Hampton, right? I, I, I like that you have someone completely on the outside who wasn't really caring about this movement at all, right? Like he only cared about himself. You know, he didn't owe the Black Panther Party anything. He even says that, I believe, in the interview at one point. At mm-hmm. one, and oh, did you go so, back and watch the whole interview? Not the whole interview. I don't. I actually can't find the entire thing online, but there are snippets and stuff, a video that I was able to kind of, like I said, piece together going through YouTube. Mm-hmm. And he does say that, like he doesn't owe the Black Panther Party anything. And again, this is this is really him. Um, but to get that perspective, the way they did it in the movie from Lakeith Stanfield's character as, you know, Bill O'Neill, I like that, right? Because it, it makes you, you know, it makes him still, when he's standing in the front and he's preaching and he's giving that really big, you know, vibrato speech on, you know, you can't kill a revolutionary or you can kill a revolutionary, but you can't kill a revolution and, and, and that big speech moment and stuff. And he's, he's having a tough time, you know, swallowing, you know, those words and the actions that are, of course, going to transpire after that, which, again, ultimately is the assassination of Fred Hampton. Um, but how he how he, he does infiltrate the Black Panther and how he whether he completely believes it or not, whether he says it in interviews and how he denies ever really, you know, other than himself. I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to just believe that he didn't get caught up in those years that he was an informant, that he mm-hmm. might have believed a few of the things that Fred Hampton was ultimately fighting for. So to have that perspective, to have someone, you know, that was so like there in the moment, of course, it, it's a good thing, I think, for the film overall. So I personally, whether some of those scenes were hard to put in or not for what you're really trying to say, um, I still think it came across really well. So. 
Yeah. So that's interesting because I think one of the ways in which it works is that Bill O'Neill becomes sort of a, a proxy for the audience. Mm-hmm. When you're being introduced to Fred Hampton, for most people, I imagine, for the first time uh, watching this movie. So as, as Bill uh, becomes aware of who this guy is and what he stands for and the remorse he feels for what he's doing, at least as a character, I think that sort of tracks with a lot of what the audience is seeing and understanding for the first time, which I think is interesting. And, and the way that some of the shots are framed, get at that. I, I won't get into that here. You can read my review for that. But one of the things that I think really makes this work is by making this into that thriller that is that pits uh, Bill O'Neill against Fred Hampton, we get these layers of a movie that wouldn't exist if it was just Fred Hampton and just his accomplishments and just the tragedy of his death, right? We, what we get instead is we get a, a pitting against uh, each other of these two characters, one of them who is uh, an avowed socialist in Fred Hampton and who is fighting for the community good. And, uh, and Bill O'Neill is his counterpart here who is doing this for money and self-survival. And I don't think you can fault Bill O'Neill, the person for, you know, doing what he had to do to stay out of prison and, and to get by in a world that has uh, basically has its boot on his neck. But I, I think it's just an, a very fascinating contrast in the ways in which centers of power, in this case, the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover um, and, and Jesse Plemons' character too, as well, is, is sort of pitted into this as well in a way that's, I don't think, extremely consequential to the story that's that's being told but it's really interesting to see the way that the powerful in the fbi in this case exploit someone like bill o'neill who they have control over now uh to turn against his own self-interest because in all honesty like his life is probably better off in the long run if fred hampton's vision for america uh blossoms and and becomes reality but his his reality in the moment is that he needs to survive like he needs to make money he needs to he needs to live on another day and and it's just sort of this really interesting dissection of how you know for those in it for those in the revolution like fred hampton um that's what it was all about was like survival for the community but for a lot of the individual people like Black liberation for them must have just meant surviving, you know, like getting through another day and like being able to live uh, in a country that does not care for you, uh, putting it lightly. So I think that it actually is Bill O'Neill the villain is is he not? I don't think it really matters. He's clearly just a pawn in the in the scope of things. Um, But I think that it makes for really fascinating storytelling. And and I the more I think of this one of those movies, the more I think about it, the more I like. (laughs) Sort of get worked up about how interesting and, and exciting it is in terms of filmmaking and how I really hope that it gets some attention uh, in, in the award season coming up too. Yeah, I guess uh, Plemons' character, Roy Mitchell, Roy Mitchell's character, yeah, Jesse Plemons. I guess he was right. Maybe maybe there is a nomination in there for Lakeith Stanfield for Oscar nomination. Oh, I hope so. Lakeith Stanfield deserves it, man. He's so good. <laughs> But yeah, I like I said, this movie is one of those ones that you look back already and it's like there's moments in there where you're like you laugh when you shouldn't be laughing, obviously. And then, of course, get angry and stuff and all that jazz. And uh, I guess, like I said, it's, it, it's definitely a good movie to reflect on where we still sit 
40 or 50 years after the fact that this movie uh, portrays back in the day of 1969. So yeah. And, I know and it's impressive happening. that yeah. like, a studio can make this movie today. Like it would have been unimaginable probably even 10, 15 years ago that a big studio like Warner brothers would green light a movie like this. So like, oh. that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Bill O'Neill, he, he died, right. The, the day of the interview. I don't I'm, think it was the I'm day not... of the interview. I think it was the day the interview aired. He killed himself. Mm-hmm. So that that implies that maybe he had some some pent up guilt yeah. about all of it, or maybe he just knew the backlash that he would face once he saw um, the way he was portrayed. There, I don't know. I mean, you can't read into the psyche of a of a person like that. I guess. Of course. So, like he said, we would one day decide. So. I guess we'll let you guys uh, watch the movie and let you decide on your own. And the on that rules. note, watch it. Yeah. So letterbox roundup. Can't but forget I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Oh, you, you you were doing it, huh? I was. It was a tradition that that I tried to keep alive. Yeah. Well, I'm back, baby. So I'll do so it again because it felt so right. Letterbox roundup. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, this movie is again available on HBO Max right now for I think 30 days, and then it's in theaters and. I'm sure it'll be mm-hmm. back on HBO Max. Regardless, rating will be four out of five stars for myself. And uh, maybe, like you said, it's one of those movies where you sit with and uh, I'm on fence. I might go four and a half. It's, it's definitely one of the better films I've seen, honestly, in quite a few months, I feel like, to be yeah. completely honest with you for like what like a good movie really is. Um, so, yeah, for right now, it sits at four to five, but uh, I'm with you on the it kind of, you know, kind of grows on you. So we'll see mm-hmm. four out of five. Yeah, I'm at I'm at four and a half on it, but I mean it's it's kind of on the the five borderline for me too. Um, I think it kind of uh, sags a little bit when Fred Hampton stops getting uh, as much screen time when he's in prison, but uh, you know it's it's really good. Like I said, read read my review for uh, for some further thoughts on spinningthereal.com. All right, Cody, you have put in the work this week. Um, You know, I know it was a struggle for you to come back here and uh, and get back in the flow of things. You had to rush to catch up on our movie this week. And then I even tried to task you with picking a game for us and didn't think you were going to make it, but you did. You found a way. Yeah, I did, man. You know, put in that work and here we are. Game time, baby. Game time, baby. It, any any way I can make you look worse when I know you know so much about movies is what I live for in this podcast. So I'm hoping you get all these wrong, but we're going to play the game. <laughs> That's so I, the spirit. I'm, I'm naming the game HBO Rotten Lockdown Experience. That's and a lot. What do you mean that's a lot? It's a name. It's a long name. It's, it's a short name. Carry Whatever. on. Carry on. Let's just let's I, get to I have, it. A, I have a list of movies. <laughs> of course, all HBO releases. Most of them again during lockdown so what did that have on the mindset of the people specifically the rotten tomato is people it a movie for the fans or for the critics that is correct sir you see we've played this game before i just spun another name on it so no that's one what of people these used to say about uh i think like justice league or something <laughs> it's like it's a it's for the fans not the critics so yeah we'll go through here we'll see uh how many of these you believe are for the fans versus the critics and uh 
maybe even I'm gonna guess use that terminology too. Hey, that's fine. That's fine. Are you ready? You ready to start? I'm, I've been ready. All right, we're gonna start with one that we've actually reviewed on this show. It's an American Ooh. pickle. Oh, that's an interesting place to start. And was it for the fans or was it for the critics, my friend? See, that's tough because I, I feel like we didn't care for that movie all that much, but there was some okay critical. I'm going to say it's for the fans, though. You want to say it's for the fans? I'm going to say it's for the fans. I think the fans agreed with us more on this one than the critics because the audience score was 46%. Oh. Now, what do you think Rotten Tomato was? Just out of curiosity. The, the, the critic reception? So that means that it was probably higher based it on was. what you're saying here. Yes. Uh, 62 you know, add one to that, 72, well, 10. Wow. And you're right yeah, there. Yeah, I knew the critical reception wasn't terrible to it, but it's a Seth Rogen movie, so I figured, you know, people probably... I know, that, that's what I was thinking, but even I, I'm even surprised by when I look up some of these, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I was wrong on the way I felt about Rotten that movie. Tomatoes is a fucking cesspool. <laughs> I mean, like, the people go on to that, the, the plebs, if you will, they go on to that site to just complain incessantly about every movie. Uh, well that takes me to my next movie it's called let them all talk it stars meryl streep and i want to know is it this okay this this has to be for the critics it's just gotta be okay am i right you would be right that is such a movie that is not for the fans it's it's kind of boring it's um but it's like talky and got has meryl streep in it and lucas hedges and the critics just die for that shit <laughs> so yeah uh, rotten tomatoes gave it 89 percent. audience 51 so it, it wasn't really close definitely for the critics there um this really is where my name got inspired for this game the rotten lockdown experience oh do uh, i need to guess uh guess oh you already said it go ahead no this is for the next movie though it is no, lockdown. I, I thought i was supposed to guess well you, you can guess now that i've told you the movie is called okay. lockdown yeah, no, that, you this saw movie that sucks. movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the critics and the fans hated it almost equally, but I'm going to say that this was a movie for the fans. I don't for know. For the fans. Are you sure? I'm going to go with it. All right. You. So this does star just for a little bit. I know like one critic that liked it. So, yeah. so uh, Lockdown is, it's, did you say for the fans? I'm sorry. I said for the fans. Yeah, no one liked this movie. It was 31% by the fans, but at a little bit higher was on Rotten, 45%. Yeah, this this movie sucked. I mean, it it started (laughs) Anne Hathaway, Chiwetel, Ejiofor. Um, It was like the ultimate COVID lockdown movie with all the dumb idiosyncrasies of like actual COVID. And then it turns into like a heist thriller that sucks. So like, it's just dumb. (laughs) Yeah, the previews, it didn't intrigue me, but from the previews, from the trailer, clearly a COVID movie made. So it's kind of funny on that note. Uh, That leads me into another movie, a movie that we have also discussed on this uh, podcast, Unpregnant. Uh, Unpregnant. Well, so we like this. I feel like this one... Yes, Unpregnant stars Haley Lou Richardson. And it is all of them have been... Delight. For the critics so far, and I feel like this one is too. I have a specific reason for that, but but tell me if I'm right first. Okay. For the critics, you, 
you you are clearly so far right on this. It is ridiculous how low the audience score is on this. Yeah, see, that's that was what I thought here because <laughs> anytime there's a movie about a um, let's call it a wedge issue like abortion, uh, the lunatics on the internet come out and just berate the uh, the movie on. Um, Usually, honestly, on any time a movie's about women, more or less, <laughs> the people on the internet come out to uh, Rotten Tomatoes to, to shit all over it. And I, I had a uh, strong feeling that that would be the case. Yeah, they shit all over this. It sits at a whopping 14%. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... What a, uh, don't let that discourage you, boys and girls listening, because Unpregnant is actually a pretty good film. It is a good film. It's better than lockdown. So, oh, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Uh, that leads me into another film. This is number five. I have nine, so we'll get through that. Okay. All right. Uh, number five, though, it is one that you have seen. So maybe you want to talk about it a little bit because like it was all of these movies. I know, but this one we didn't specifically ever talk about American Utopia. American Utopia. That one's got to be for the critics, I feel like. I feel like the the Rotten Tomato score for that for the critics has to be like ninety nine percent or something. It's like, damn. Maybe Evan be. knows. Maybe Evan knows his. Do you know your Rotten Tomato scores? Like you know your vegetables. Like do you know that that's a good tomato or a bad tomato? Because you're right. <laughs> Probably this was, better. This was a good. <laughs> this was a good fresh. <laughs> yeah, this was a good tomato. Ninety eight percent from the yeah, critics. Yeah, this was like universally beloved by by critics. So I, I understand that when the audience score gets involved, it's a little easier to drop that down. But I'm sure it's probably not too low, right? Eighty five percent for the yeah. audience score. And this is this, what what was this again, real quick? Because I know it was almost in your top ten. Like it, yeah, I mean, so it was up there in your twenty twenty list. Um, Spike Lee directed uh, the the filming of this. Of David Byrne of the uh, the Talking Heads, the music group uh, that was really popular, I think in like the '90s, um, and it's just a, a stage show of him performing a lot of his popular songs, and it is just like a, a moment in time capture of just delightful energy uh, right before everyone went on lockdown, and uh, I, I can't even describe. It's just like an uplifting thing. He he's just got such a positive view of humanity and and people and wonderful, just a delightful thing. I recommend it to uh, to anybody who who's interested in stage plays and is interested in music is just wants to have a good time watching a movie. Well, obviously, most people agree with you because it was high all across the board. All right, my next one. Are you ready? I don't think you've seen this one. Ooh. Super Intelligence stars (laughs) Melissa McCarthy. I watched the trailer just as I was going through making this game because I'm like, "Hmm, I've actually never heard of this one, but it is a obviously HBO Max uh, Mm -hmm. original. So I was just curious. And yeah, uh, I haven't seen it. Actually. Now I'm even curious on what you're going to think about the audience or rotten score. Yeah, so this, the- this is tough too, because I know the critics did not like this movie, but again, every time I think that it, <laughs> a movie might be for the fans, <laughs> the fans say, no, this isn't for us either. So why, why don't we just for the sake of diversity, let's say this was for the fans. Okay. This was, this was for neither it, at 32% was the critics with Rotten mm-hmm. Tomatoes. For the fans, me, 31. It was right oh, there. okay. So 31. basically even. Yeah. So this movie sucks. Yeah, I, I was going to watch it, but then I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Now I want you to watch it, and I want to know if it's, if it's better. 
I feel 31%. like even I, who watch countless movies, um, have has better things to do with my time. Well, that was a mess so. of a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> all right, carry on. All right, these last few are all ones that we have recently talked about because they're all Warner Brother releases that had that one-month premiere or continue to have that one-month premiere on HBO Max. So we'll start with Wonder Woman 84. Ooh, that one's for the critics, I'm pretty sure. You, you're, I love it. I love saying this. I want you to put this on loop forever and ever. Evan, you're wrong. <laughs> really? You're wrong. Wow, just, that just surprises the- me. It's for the audience. It's, I'm it's for genuinely the surprised. Well, it Why? is a DC movie, so <laughs> it is for the fans, <laughs> not the critics. No, I'm surprised because the critical reception to this movie, from what I heard, was generally like mildly positive. Everybody that I talked to that saw this movie hated it. And I feel like this is another one of those things where like women and women superheroes tend to get like shot all over on, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, but, we- uh, you're telling me that that's not the case. No, because the Rotten score was 59%, and the audience was 74%. What does that tell you, Evan? That Snyder that Cut is going to be but awesome. We're pretentious. We're the snobs here, Cody. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But again, Snyder's Cut, I guess, is going to be that much more awesome. Or Gal Gadot has a chance to uh, to get back in with the critics, get higher yeah. than that, 59%. So. You know, I, there's things to like about that movie. We talked about it. We don't need to talk about it more. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just move on. I'm not watching the Snyder Cut either. So it's about the little things, man. Oh, the little things. Our oh, next movie choice. The Did little you things. You know Evan. that Jared Leto, this is something we talked, Zach and I talked about. Jared Leto got nominated for a Golden Globe and for a Screen Actors Guild Award for his role in the little things. And what role? He's probably going to get nominated for an Oscar at this point. For which his I find shocking. He, he barely played in the movie. Yeah, and he was just himself, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> I Come will. On. Is anybody denying that Jared Leto might get a boner at a dead body? We're not I, sure. I don't know. All I could say is nothing. Nothing <laughs> surprises me, I guess, anymore in terms of what people want to see with the Golden Globes or Academy Awards. I'll never guess. I'll I'll never be able to understand why movies or people get nominated for what they get nominated for. I'm serious. Yeah, I this mean, this is one of those cases. That now you tell shocking. me. I I I'm shocked, but we're gonna we're gonna do a prediction episode, okay? I'm telling you. I'm just gonna predict he wins in a couple weeks. If he's already nominated, he's gonna win. Well, he hasn't been nominated yet. We're gonna predict oh. nominees in a couple weeks, but I'm. We'll get into it later. We don't. So what what do you play, think? Play, was the it the, play the game. Was it for you're playing oh. the game? Oh shit! Um, for the people or for <laughs> <laughs> for the critics? Ooh, am I wrong again? You're wrong again. Evan wow. is wrong again. Things have taken a turn. Yeah, for the worst, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Rotten gave it 47%, and the audience gave it 65%. You even liked this movie. Like, you liked it yeah, more I, than I thought it was okay. other people. So, Yeah, yeah. But, well, uh, I, don't, I don't have much to say. Much like the little things. Doesn't generate a lot of conversation. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I couldn't... I had to throw it in there because it's there. We just talked about it. Judah and the Black Messiah. Oh, that's got to be for the critics, man. That's got to be... I gave you this one and you couldn't lose either way. It sits. Everybody loved it. Everyone loves it. 96% across the board. That's, that's awesome. So you couldn't Glad lose in the last question. That makes me happy. We end the game on a high note, Cody. You're welcome. <laughs> it was planned all along. So that is the HBO rotten lockdown experience, whether lockdown uh, affected the audience or not and how they 
See that that interests me too. Like what how would these have movies been perceived? Like look at like the last three movies. They were higher audience scores than rotten scores. Cody, that sounds if- like a great second segment for a podcast one week. So I guess I'll save it till let's then. Let's not yeah, let's not uh give away our content when we don't have to yet. Yeah, suckers. I'm <laughs> teasing you. Cody, that brings us to, so we were trying to come up with something to do for our second segment. Um, before you had that bright idea just a second ago, um, we, uh, you've been kind of tuned out because of work and, and just not being around for, uh, for the recent, uh, turning of the, uh, the film Twitter or whatever you want to say. So one of the things that was generating some buzz, I guess a couple days ago now, was uh, a writer for the New York Times put out a tweet and he it wasn't like a film writer or anything. And I, I don't want to really like pile on this guy because Twitter definitely did. Um, and, it, and a lot of people feel that way. So like, it's not, if you don't like old movies, you don't like old movies, whatever. But uh, this is what he tweeted out. Cody, I'm going to read it for you. Okay. Do it. He said, I broke a longstanding rule of mine to not watch movies made before 1975. So I could finally see Citizen Kane Uh, of course, which came out in 1941, I think. Uh, It taught me a valuable lesson. These rules exist for a reason. It feels like I'm looking at hieroglyphs or hieroglyphics. I'm sure there was a time when a lot of people got it and enjoyed it, but it's not exactly entertaining to me. So as you can imagine, there uh, is a large contingent of film Twitter that, you know, really likes old movies. Yeah. Uh, caused, caused a bit of a stir. So I've talked a, an awful lot this episode. So I want to get your thoughts uh, first. Sure. I mean, ultimately, luckily, we've had these decade projects because I might have been one of those people that falls into that category of not saying like, I'm not going to go seek out old movies, right? I'm not, I'm not one to, I guess, be like, I'm so into movies where I have to go watch this 1940 film or this 1950 film kind of thing. Um, But that decades project, I think really helped uh, and maybe talk about this a little bit more and actually have maybe some more thoughtful things to say about it because I mean, just in his quote or his tweet, whatever about citizen Kane, like citizen Kane was a little, like I liked it. It was a little trippy. Don't get me wrong. Um, But I think that's, what's cool. And I think that's why, technology here in terms of having him tweet it and Twitter respond mm-hmm. um, is also kind of important too, because you're right. There is a handful of people just like when you look at sports memorabilia or art or anything, and, and there's that nostalgia for the throwbacks or whatever it is, there's that nostalgia for old movies. Um, and what I like here is when you look back at old movies and I'll throw back in, you know, Judas and the Messiah is just an example because we just talked about it. Right. That was, of course, a 2021 release on a 1969 issue. Um, but what about movies that released in 1969 that maybe reflect on that issue in some way? And, and I think that's what's really interesting and like really cool is when you get back into that year, uh, maybe it's as minuscule as I'll, I'll use the Sandlot as an example, right? Where they throw the shoes above, the, you know, the wire of the telephone pool. Like what mm-hmm. kind of shoes were there? Like what was, you know, Nike, like the, the Nike shoes at the time and all that kind of stuff, or just a poster of, you know, um, like the most like popular band of that time. Like maybe it was like sync or whatever, like, a, you know, nineties kind of thing or whatever. 
Um, so to that extent, it's like, it's kind of cool for that nostalgia aspect too. Like what was the trendy popular things of that day and age, uh, you know, as far back as of course our parents or of course, in this case, in the forties, even farther back than that. Um, I, I get it. I get that it's not for everybody. Um, but I will ultimately say, I think you're doing yourself, uh, a disservice to yourself. Uh, I it's, it's hard to say too, for me, because I am watching a lot more of the popular nostalgic classic films, you know, the forties picks mm-hmm. were all of, of, you know, really high ratings, really, you know, popular movies still, I think to this day, you know, if we start naming them, like the red shoes is super popular, the great dictator with Charlie Chaplin, uh, stuff like that, you know, Bicycle Thieves, Casablanca, for sure. Like these are movies that people, even if they haven't watched the film, I feel I've at least heard about the film. So maybe it is completely hard for me to talk about maybe those not so, you know, grand movies. Um, but I think too, when you look at it, technology's come a long way and to maybe use that as a reason, I don't know his reasoning for tweeting this is also a discredit because you can't, compare there's there's you're not comparing apples to apples here right you don't mm. have that technology that existed back in day so like when you see the cgi whether it's a space movie um whether it's a horror movie you know the way that blood or whatever is created anything like that you know it's hard but i think there's elements that are in today's movies created because of movies back then um but yeah i, I mean that <laughs> I guess I'd be more on the bandwagon of fans who's like, you shut up about Citizen Kane because that was a you know great movie. So right, but yeah, it's it's such a so much weird stuff about that, and and there's a lot to unpack in what you just said there as well. Because one, you talk about like the nostalgia, and it's interesting when you say like it gives you a perspective of like that moment in time as depicted by the people living through that time. And using Judas and the Black Messiah as an example is interesting because that's a movie that just the tone and tenor and perspective of that movie would not exist back then. You're getting a a perspective, a different perspective of like who was allowed to tell stories and stuff. But even that I feel like is framing old movies as like hieroglyphics and that like their only value is as, um, as sort of like a relic to look back on and say, oh, look what people did back then. When like... Citizen Kane, just as an example, is a fucking fun movie. Like, it's just such a blast. Like, it's it's got the the jump scare with the bird. It's got, like, a mystery element. And it's just, a, I find that movie to be endlessly entertaining. Um, and I understand some people might not. But, like, the other thing is cutting it off in 1975. So, like, you're missing out on The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2. <laughs> you're missing out on, like, Chinatown and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just, like, pull up 1974 as an example. But I don't know. I just, like, it. I find it frustrating. So, I, I, here, I'll, I'll start here, actually. Is your point about, like, you've only seen the good movies and not, like, the the ones that have been relegated to, to history because they suck or they're not acceptable anymore but like who's to say that a movie from like 1994 some random movie from that year has any value today like going back to watch like the some mediocre movie from even 2020 like i don't know you watched what like 40 or 50 movies last year cody was it more oh i was born dude i I hit it hard i got like 70 in there okay so let's say you like someone 50 years from now goes back and watches movies from your list are they gonna watch uh are they gonna watch like the 60th ranked movie on that list or are they gonna watch the best one you know like 
history decides what, what survives as like great art. And I, I think that like, just to summarily write off even the greatest movies of the past is silly just because like, and I know a ton of people that will just refuse to watch movies because they're in black and white. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but I had to yeah, look up ahead. what my 60th movie was in 2020. And it was Hillbilly Elegy. How perfect is there that? There you go. Yeah, that's <laughs> the one that's going to survive the... Uh, because that brings us in time. <laughs> yes. That's that will funny. survive. So. Yeah, it's just crazy to me because like, I, I don't know. I, I get that they're different and you definitely have to approach an old movie in a different way than you would now because the performances are different. Like the way actors acted mm-hmm. in movies is, is undeniably different than than they do today it was a it's it was a different craft and that's not to say it was like better or worse back then but it's just a just a different perspective and then too like visually of course they're going to look different because technology didn't allow but that like opens up such a different world of wonder for like citizen kane especially for like that shot where they're looking at the photograph of the news team at the rival um newspaper and they they zoom in comes into frame and then the the crew it shows is like there and there it goes into like a, a moving picture like that's such an incredible feat of filmmaking it's just awesome and it still has like that same effect i don't know i get worked up about this because i think old movies rule um i don't know yeah. are, are you glad that you've like been able to see some of these uh some of these things like i know that wasn't a priority for you um at any point no really. but like but like you said i it like my the one movie I watched like religiously or as a tradition for years and years that that's really old is uh, it's a wonderful life with uh, James Stewart mm-hmm. and I think you know James Stewart for his time was a phenomenal actor you know we watched Rear Window which was one of our fifties decade project and you know wonderful to, movie to cut me off from that film too which I thought was just fantastic is it it is kind of like oh that's kind of sad or that it was directed by alfred hitchcock who's also Mm -hmm. done some really really you know phenomenal movies and you know if you like movies today i get it netflix is coming out with a crap ton of movies week in and week out and and you're constantly getting new and and maybe you're always into the new the new the new and you don't really go back and maybe that's another thing too like netflix and them don't really broadcast old movies that's why hbo Mm -hmm. max i think is in that limelight of uh you know, I think it has Studio Ghibli, so it has a lot of those old classic. Yeah, uh, the TCM selection, mm-hmm. the Criterion and, Channel, and is, it is where uh, we saw a lot of our uh, decade project movies. It, it mm-hmm. does have Rear Window on it. It does have uh, what else? Did it? it had I think almost every movie we watched for the decades project. Yeah, more or it. less. So um, that's Rear Window. <laughs> <laughs> kudos to that, regardless. And uh, it, it does cut you off from you know these people who really you know, laid the groundwork for what we enjoy today. Like if there's Mm -hmm. a certain maybe genre of film you liked, and I'll use Alfred Hitchcock as an example, you know, what kind of, where would thrillers and stuff be without a man such as himself, you know, laying the groundworks, laying the bricks for that kind of thing. Um, And to reflect, I guess, just on acting and stuff. I I think acting back then, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say I meant more. It's hard to say. I know what you're saying. Cause it's like, you're, you can't compare apples to apples because acting was different. I just feel like there was more 
like emotion and, and all this kind of stuff. Like it actually meant something to act back then than it yeah. does. I today. feel like there's more personality in <laughs> yeah. that thing in, in yes. a way. And I don't mean that like Adam driver can't correctly like capture personality just to pull a random name out. Like obviously he is tremendous at what he does and actors are today, but I feel like Humphrey Bogart was playing some version of Humphrey Bogart on screen back in the day. Orson Welles was playing some version of Orson Welles on screen when he would uh, act in his movies. So like these actors back then had their own identities as actors that they brought to the roles. Whereas today, like it's the actors that are trying to slip into the roles that they are. And, and you could say that that's maybe more difficult, but it, it certainly has a different tone uh, that it takes that again, not better or worse, just, uh, just something I, I think is really interesting to see. I wanted to point out too, that um, I went back and I watched a movie the other day called the seventh seal. And it's a movie about um, Swedish. Uh, fuck, what are they like? I, I guess Christians, but they're um, was that the crusaders that come back during the, the black plague. And they're sort of just traveling the countryside and you get these like almost slices of life of these different people living through a pandemic. And I found that movie to be so touching and so moving today, just like with what we're going through and, and sort of contemplating loss and faith through all of that. And not to get into like that movie too deeply, like specifically or anything, but I just think it's like, wow, I'm so glad to have seen it, you know, mm -hmm. like living through what we're living through today. I'm really glad that I, that that movie exists, that I can go back and I can watch it. Um, it's the same sort of thing that, that people who have um, a reservation for watching subtitled movies or, or something like that as well. Like you're just cutting yourself off from a good portion of art. And so maybe we don't need to be so emphatic and defending old movies. Like there's plenty of people who agree with us that are here to defend as well. But I just, I think it's, uh, it's such a wonderful piece of art. And I'm so glad that, that like these movies exist for us to watch and that we have at least hopefully shared some with people uh, through this podcast and our decades projects as well. Yeah. Maybe in, you know, a hundred years, people reflect back on this podcast and go, I don't listen Hi, to 2020 podcasts for right. a reason. <laughs> this I don't is listen to any podcast <laughs> before 2040. So we could be in that you know that same bubble so who knows but uh for now yeah old movies guys uh there's some old classics movies. out there to watch ass. All right, Cody, that does it for this episode, an action-packed episode to um, to bring you back. How'd you feel it went? Uh, it's good to be back, man. You know, there's that weight on my shoulders for not being here for you guys. And now that I'm back for you guys, it's, it's lifted, you know? The burden of creating content. Um, so where where can people find us, I guess, would be the first uh, first question. Well, spinningthereel.com is a great place to start because you right. can really find anything and everything, including Evan's most recent review, which mm -hmm. is, of course, Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. Uh, everything else he's written I wrote so it far. mostly drunk last night, so uh, check that out. Nice. That's, that, that's real thoughts then. Anything that comes out when you're drunk is <laughs> Read the it again this deal. morning. It was, it was coherent, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real deal. 
but uh yeah anywhere you listen to podcasts of course you're listening right now appreciate the listens um and when it comes Next to week. our socials it's oh, instagram sorry, and still. twitter god dang it evan god, no I'm, I'm gone for two weeks and then you forget we're out of sync we all right what, the are, what are we doing next week i know there's one movie you want to touch on for sure one movie that has been brought up for whatever reason like you said it's like the ladybird of our 2021 or ah, season three podcast yes. <laughs> but uh minari so we've been talking about for whatever reason lovely film minari for like every week that i've at least been on the podcast since we've talked about like our top 10 so mm-hmm. of 2020 caught another um, virtual screening of that uh about a week ago so uh yeah excellent it is movie. Yeah, it is out in theaters, um, and I have seen that it's supposed to be on video on demand come Friday. So, okay, uh, cool. I believe it. I if, again, I've been if out I of can touch. talk you into watching um, Nomadland as well. Maybe we can do a double feature to tee ourselves up for the. Uh, That's on Hulu, right? So, Hulu. Yeah. So, so, two movies that are probably going to get Oscar nominations. So, I want to. I want you to watch them before we uh, we do our predictions episode. Oh, it's Oscar catch-up time. I get it. That's right. That's what I, we're why at do now. I need? Why do I need to catch up when Jared Leto is obviously going to win? <laughs> the little thing sweeps the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is the title of this segment for our clothes. But anyways, guys, appreciate it. Glad to be Thanks back. Thanks for listening. Evan, you know what? As always, bye.